0: It is kind of funny that on the day that we're talking about cutting out noise, we have the loudest member of our staff on the stage to do announcements. I just wanted to point out the irony in it. Um, I've realized recently that I've reached that age uh, where, you know, particularly having very loud young children, where I have to turn down the radio in order to find where I'm going. Does anybody else do this? Uh, I've become my parents. I've become my parents. Uh, you know, I can remember long drives as a family, and, you know, we're, we're listening to one of our favorite songs, and it's just, it's hitting, right? And we're getting to the point where everybody's about to belt it out, and then all of a sudden, they turn it off. They're like, what are you doing? They say, we've got to find where we're going, right? As if there's some connection between our vision and how much noise is happening in the car. It's as if too much noise can be blinding. And Siri does this automatically now. Uh, you know, you'd be navigating and listening to music, and it'll duck down the, the music while it gives you directions. Uh, or you could take the, the blindfold game. If you ever played this game where um, you, know, uh, you, you split up into teams of two, and one person puts the blindfold on and has to go through an obstacle course of some sort and you have to the other person has to call out the directions to let you know where to go so you don't crash into anything the problem is you are you have all of these voices from all of these team members coming in and yelling out what's good advice in the moment but you have to pick out that one voice above all the others and in this case too much noise can literally be blinding. You're going to crash into something. But what about when the stakes are higher? What do we do when the, when the stakes are higher? I think one of the most common questions that we get as pastors is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I hear his voice? How do I know where he wants me to go? And the bottom line is, if there are too many voices clamoring for our attention then we won't be able to pick out that still small voice above all the others if you haven't spent the time getting familiar with it we need to be able to hear god's voice in order to cultivate that relationship and to navigate through life's challenges so how do we how do we hear god's voice above all those other ones clamoring for our attention that's what we're talking about today. How do we hear God's voice above all the others clamoring for our attention? And Proverbs 12, 15 uh, sort of has this correlation between sight and sound. There's a correlation between the two, between seeing and hearing. So we're going to look at this proverb, and then we're going to overlay it onto King Saul's life and see how it actually played out in his life in one particular instance where blindness cost him everything. Literally cost him the entire kingdom in 1 Samuel 15. <clears throat> so Proverbs 12:15 is going to give us a window into uh, Saul's blindness in First Samuel 15. And before we open it up, here's what you need to know is Saul is going to have three different voices that he's going to have to try to distinguish between. He's got God's voice, He's got the voice of worldly wealth enticing him, and he's got the voice of the people. God's voice, the voice of worldly wealth, and the voice of the people. Um, The cacophony of these three voices create for him a, a blindness that ultimately strips the kingdom out of his hands. So let's take a look first at the proverb. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And we see the juxtaposition here between our sight and sound, between seeing and hearing. And the problem for the fool here, the reason that he's blind, according to Proverbs, is because he he has a hearing problem. He's not listening. He's not listening to wise counsel. But we we recognize, don't we, that we all have blind spots. This isn't just a problem for the fool. Proverbs also tells us every man's way is right in his own eyes. Every person has blindness. We all have blind spots in certain areas that can be completely detrimental if they're not taken care of. It it leaves us sort of with this uh, misplaced self-confidence, doesn't it? Uh, living in the fool's paradise, right, where it seems like, ev- you know, everything that we do is, is right in our own eyes. Um, well, Adam Grant has a book called Think Again, where he talks about the, finding the joy in being wrong. Do any of us have that joy, feel that joy really deep down, that joy of being wrong? Um, but it's about, the book is all about reconsidering um, deeply held beliefs, really taking on other people's opinions and being able to kind of reconsider some things. And uh, he talks, he's got a really funny graph in there um, where he talks about down here on the x-axis is the level of knowledge that you have about a particular subject. And then on this axis, he's got the confidence that you have on a particular subject. And he says, as soon as you start, Learning something about a subject, it starts to click and you go, Wow, this really makes sense. I have a lot of confidence right now in what I know, even though you know very little. Right? And what you find out is if you continue to listen, then you start to see the things that you don't know, and your confidence is gonna kind of woo tank off, and then just gradually build up slowly, because you've seen what you don't know. And you know what he calls This perch up here, he calls it Mount Stupid. (laughs) It's Mount Stupid. We get perched up here thinking that we have the answer to the problem, and we we don't even know that we're completely blind with this misplaced self-confidence. But it's a dangerous place uh, to, to think that you know exactly what you're doing, and uh, you, don't even, you don't even know what you don't know. But how does Proverbs tell us that we overcome this blindness? How do you fix what you can't even see? Well, let's go back to our proverb. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Here's the correlation. If you want to remove a blindness, then you need to be able to listen To someone who can see what you cannot. You need to be able to listen to the advice of some people who can see what you can't see. And so it's just like the blindfold game we were talking about. You've got to be able, if you're the one who's blind in the game, you've got to be able to pick out that voice of the person who can see the path that's clearly in front of you. And if you think about it, in that game, everybody's getting good advice. But you need to be able to hear the one who's speaking directly to you for your situation at that time, or you're going to run into something. And so Proverbs is telling us the only way to remove this blindness is by listening to the right counsel. And it's not, it's not just a matter of listening. The word here, shema, in Hebrew, it, it's, it's to listen, but it also means to obey. It's the kind of listening that leads to obedience. It's uh, my dad's a mechanic. I didn't get that gene. Growing up, you know, he would tell me, "Hey, you really got to get that belt fixed. You really got to, you know, you really ought to do this. You really ought to do that." And okay, Dad, I'll get to it. You know, and there were times I didn't listen, and I end up broken down on the road. Because it's not enough to just hear the diagnosis if I don't actually put the counsel into practice. I actually have to do the things. It's not just hearing, but hearing to obey. So, the message of this proverb is that faulty hearing leads to faulty sight. Faulty hearing leads to faulty sight. Now, if you open up to 1 Samuel 15, we're going we're to see how this plays out in Saul's life. And I said at the beginning, there's three different voices that he's going to have to listen to. He's going to have to kind of distinguish between. There's God's voice, the voice of this worldly wealth, and the voices of the people. So check this out. Let's see. Samuel comes to Saul, and he says, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. There's something really interesting that that's actually happening here, okay? There's a word actually in here for voice that doesn't, doesn't make it into the translation. The reason is whenever they're translating into English, there's never a one-for-one correlation, okay? This actually says the voice of the words of the Lord, Okay? And so just for English style, just for good English style and flow, the translators felt like it's a little redundant to say it that way, so let's just say the, voice or the, the words of the Lord. Okay? But this actually says the voice of the words of the Lord. It's this Hebrew word, kol. And it means either sound or noise or voice. And the reason that it's important, though, is because it's going to come up again and again and again throughout the passage this isn't something that you have to know to get the meaning of the passage but it just brings in some some color to it It gives you some vibrancy to the meaning behind it so he's saying listen to the voice of the words of the lord now the voice of the lord in this particular instance is very difficult it's a very difficult command. I really wrestled with how to even present this part in here because it's not an easy topic. But if you're not exposed here, then when you go outside the walls of the church and somebody brings this up, it's going to be more jarring. So we're going to touch on this. We're going to wrestle with this for just a minute. What what exactly God is commanding him to do here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself up against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. When they were coming up out of Egypt, the Amalekites came and attacked them unprovoked. And he he says, Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now this is not this is jarring. This is something where you, if, you were, if, if somebody's bringing this in from the outside and you have no context, you're going, what kind of God would command something like this? And I just want to give you four quick things to consider here about God and about this particular command. Okay? The first one is that God is more loving and merciful and patient than we could ever fathom. Consider Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, even the worst among us. God takes no pleasure in it. His desire is that we turn and live. In fact, he was so patient with the people in the land that Back in Genesis 15, when when God is telling Abram that he's going to give him this promised land as part of this huge plan of salvation to bless all the nations, he says, you're going to have to go into slavery in Egypt for 400 years before I bring your people into this land. And he says these words, he says, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. The Amorite was one of the people Groups in the land and he says that the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete we see God being patient long suffering with these people in the land he's waiting 400 years that's some serious patience until the point where the wickedness of these people boils over to a point point. and it wasn't just what God did to the other nations he did this to Israel as well Whenever, whenever Israel turned their backs on God and he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to come and turn them back from their ways, he eventually sends in the Assyrians and the Babylonians to exile them from the land for a time. But God is patient. He is patient. So he's, first, God is more loving and merciful and patient than we could ever fathom. But second, God is more righteous and just than we can imagine. You cannot have the love of God without the justice of God. None of us want that. If you actually get down to the bottom of it, nobody actually wants a world where there's no justice. You you have to hold God's love and mercy and grace in tension with his justice and his righteousness. And as soon as you put one above the other, as soon as you say God is love but you forget about his righteousness and his justice then you have created a caricature. You've reduced God down to a caricature of what he really is. And here's what he was actually judging them for, okay? You know the story of God bringing them out of Egypt, the plagues that he put on the Egyptians, and he's bringing them out with his mighty hand. He splits the sea. We were just singing about it. He splits the sea. And with a miraculous hand, he saves the people. Who do they meet on the other side? But the Amalekites. They come up from behind unprovoked and attack the people of Israel. Not just, in a, not just another attack. Like they are, they are directly opposing God's miraculous salvation here. And so God vows, I'm going to wipe Amalek's memory from the earth. God's working in his justice here. But even then, even then, consider how patient God is. From the time of Moses to the time of Saul, there's been hundreds of years even past here before God gives this command. God is incredibly patient in his love and his mercy, but he's also just. And the third thing is, God sees what we cannot see. At the end of the day, we have to remember his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He sees the full picture, and that's the whole point here, is that he sees what we cannot see. I have a blindness. I need someone who sees ahead of me. And so even though Saul couldn't see why in this story, why God was giving this command, we have the advantage, reading it now, of being able to look, look back and see oh my goodness, God knew what he was doing. Look what happened here, because Samuel already said that the, the sword of the Amalekites made women childless. They were already doing this. And Saul ends up disobeying God's command here to wipe out the Amalekites. And later on, they come in and they, they attack David's family and they, 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 uh, they kidnap them. And David has to send this whole rescue mission out to take care of it. And then uh, 400 of them flee on camels and guess where they show up later. One of their descendants is a man named Haman in the book of Esther. And one of the descendants of the Amalekites almost succeeded in wiping out the entire Israelite people. God sees what we can't see. And because Saul disobeyed in utterly destroying the Amalekites here, they almost succeeded in completely destroying the Israelites. God sees what we can't see. So he's more loving and merciful and patient than we could fathom. He's more just and righteous than we could imagine. He sees what we can't see, but here's the thing, too. Number four, he's, this is what every one of us deserves. The severity of our sin is shown here. The effects of our sin on the world... And Jesus actually came to take on that punishment. He came on to, to take the punishment of every kind of people across every people group, every kind of offense across all of the entirety of humanity on his shoulders on the cross. And so I'll tell you this, anytime I have a hard time understanding, understanding the suffering in the world or understanding a command of God, I have to look at his, his heart on the cross I have to look there, because the cross is the only way that God could satisfy both his mercy and his justice at the same time. It's the only way. So yes, this was a really hard command to follow, and it's going to be difficult to follow God's voice at times. Uh, we're not going to always understand it. But look at how Saul responds here. Look at how he responds Saul defeats the Amalekites. He captures Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people by the edge of the sword. It looks like he's listening. It looks like he's doing what he's supposed to do until you get to the next verse. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the leader, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, And all that was good. And they were not willing to destroy them utterly. Oh, but everything despised and worthless. That they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Saying, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. You would expect at this point that the next time Saul sees Samuel, he'd be walking in with his tail between his legs. That's what you would expect. Next time he sees him, look at this. Samuel comes to Saul. Saul says to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out, look at this, I have carried out the command of the Lord. What? (laughs) How can you be that blind? We do this all the time, but how was Saul this blind? He was listening to the other voices other than God's. Because look at what Samuel says. Well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? These words, bleeding and lowing, the same word, coal it's voice, you listened to the voice the enticement of worldly wealth over the voice of God we see this repetition this repetition in this passage over and over again which voice are we listening to Because surely God wouldn't want to destroy the best of it right, surely that, that doesn't make sense and Saul thinks he has a perfectly good excuse. But he also points the finger. He says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. He's pointing the finger, and then he's saying, look, I got a good reason. It was to sacrifice to you. I did it as a present. It's a gift. But the rest, oh, the rest we utterly destroyed. And this is the tale that is literally as old as time. From as far back in the garden, pointing the finger at the real culprits, saying God could not have possibly meant what he, what he did, what he said here. It doesn't make sense. And Saul is completely blind here because he's listening to the wrong voices. Even here, Samuel says to Saul, wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak. I want to hear it. How often do we act like, I'm guilty of this. How often do I act like, I want to hear a word from the Lord, but I haven't done the last thing he told me to do. I haven't done anything with the revelation he's already given me. I haven't spent time to even see what it is. How often is this our, our mindset toward God? Speak. Most of the time when we're asking for God to speak, asking for his will for our lives, we're asking for clear direction for a very particular circumstance. But we don't want to do the last thing that he told us to do. We're often so deluded and, and, and blind, thinking that we really want to hear from God when we would really rather listen to every other voice except for his. Our problem is not that we don't know God's will. Our problem is, is for many of us, is that we've already heard it clearly. But we've let other voices come in and we've started to question what we know. The voices of society, from, from the worldly wealth, from the people around us, we start to question what we really know that it was even clear enough in the first place or that maybe we just didn't really understand it. The voices make us question if God's voice is really good. And that was the problem in the garden. The command was clear. The boundaries were set for our good and his glory. But another voice slithers in and makes us question everything. Our problem is not that we don't know God's will. Our problem is that we want a second opinion. We want a second opinion on what's good for us. Our problem is not that we can't hear from God, it's that we don't sit still. We don't we can't sit still long enough to distinguish his voice above all the others so that his voice is the loudest. Our problem is one of consistency. We don't sit consistently under his counsel in his word. I can't tell you how many times I've come out of uh, you know, a, a quiet time reading scripture or, or praying and just sitting, whatever, and just feel like, man, I don't feel like I got anything out of it today. But that's the wrong question. The question is one of consistency. Am I consistently in his presence enough? It's consistency that shapes our ears and attunes our hearts to his voice. Even when you don't think anything's happening, it's consistency in his presence that we're missing. Our problem is that we run to get the advice of everyone who would agree with us, who would confirm our biases, we don't want to hear what we already know. And we've seen here faulty hearing leads to faulty sight. We are blind because of the voices that we let in. So Saul reminds or Samuel reminds Saul of this. Samuel said, he he reminds him of the entire command of, of going in and exterminating the Amalekites. And he says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? There it is again, the voice of the Lord. Why is that one not the one? But you rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. Is anybody starting to feel like they're talking to their kid? Did anybody have this conversation this morning on the way trying to get ready for church? I did obey. I feel like I have had this conversation so many times, but I'm the one who does it as well. I did obey. I did. I went on the mission. I brought back a gag. I utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Oh, but the people. Oh, it's always the people. The people took some of the spoil. The sheep, the oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to obstruction, but they had a good reason. They had a really good reason to do it, right? It was all for you that we disobeyed. Samuel says Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. He says down here, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And just like that, the kingdom is ripped out of Saul's hands. Blindness has utterly destroyed him because he can't listen. He does recognize that eventually it's just too late. He says, I've sinned. I've transgressed, he says, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Again, our problem is, at least not most of the time, it's not about knowing God's will. Our problem is that we don't want to hear it. We've listened to these other voices that make us question the goodness of God's command, and so faulty hearing leads to faulty sight. So what can we do about it? How do we avoid Saul's mistake? How do we get down off of our perch on Mount Stupid and actually see what needs to change? How do we remove the blindness? We cut out the noise. We've got to cut out the noise. Right out of high school, I went through a season that a lot of us go through at different times uh, where I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life had a few different options in front of me, didn't know if I was supposed to go into ministry or do a few other different things that I was really interested in, and so I just, I spent this summer um, turning the radio off and just listening. I'd, I'd be on these long summer drives before gas was $5 a gallon, and I would just listen. I did some praying, but I did a whole lot of listening that summer. And it was one of those seasons where I was looking for a very particular circumstance. I wanted an answer on a very particular thing. But one night, God hit me over the head like a ton of bricks and reminded me of Jesus' words in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. I was looking for something particular, but I had to learn to be God's man in whatever situation he was going to place me. I had forgotten this fact, and God reminded me of it. I had to do something with the revelation he had already given me. You know, during that summer, I I even cut out good sources right i mean i could have been listening to worship music or whatever there's there's many good sources even that just add to the noise sometimes and i just felt like for me at that time i needed to sit and just be in silence with god because we're inundated all the time tv movies social media podcasts books magazines blogs friends coworkers f- music radio it's constant we know it's constant and Even so many of these sources that we think are good, some of them are even having the same kind of messages come out, like, you know what, you're perfect just the way you are. Or, don't you dare change for anybody. Or how about, you got this, just believe in yourself. Is it any wonder that we're blind? We're blind. What does the Bible tell us? God has given you worth and value that's intrinsic inside of you because He's made you in His image. But that means that the the most authentic thing that you could do, the most authentic version of yourself, is the one that looks the most like Him. He tells us we have a sin problem that only He can fix. He tells us we need to be radically transformed every single day by the power of His Spirit. He tells us, you know what, actually, you don't got this because you were made to depend on my spirit every single day. But the only way that we hear God's voice above all the others is if we cut out all the other voices and start to become familiar with his. God may be calling you right now into a new season, it could be a new career, it could be a new ministry, it could be uh, you know, a service opportunity or starting a family. He might be calling you a new season. He might be calling you right now to stop something, maybe a habit that developed during COVID. Uh, maybe you started drinking a lot during COVID, being around you know, the kids and the house so much. Maybe you started drinking too much during COVID. Uh, maybe it's just the constant media consumption. Uh, maybe he's calling you to start something right now a new group uh, starting to help out in this new biblical counseling ministry. Maybe he's calling you into new habits of scripture reading and prayer and just sitting still in front of him, just sitting still in his presence. I'm willing to bet that for most of us in here, for most of us in here, there's already something that God has convicted us about The only confusion that comes in is from listening to these other voices. That's where it's getting fuzzy because it's calling us, it's calling into question the goodness of his voice. Um, I love, you know, Dallas Willard says that God's command is usually very clear. I love this. He says, uh, the spirit who inhabits us is not mute, restricting himself to an occasional nudge or a hot flash or a brilliant image or a case of the goosebumps. God is not mute. The problem is, as we've said, we don't take the time to distinguish his voice. I would love for us to be a people who are joyfully seeking God's voice, who are completely dependent on his voice for every step that we take. In scripture, spoken through others, speaking directly to our hearts, but we have to learn to cut out the noise. And I'll just, i leave you with this quote about being still in God's presence. Uh, F.B. Meyer has got a great book, really great book, called The Secret of Guidance. Small little book. It's a classic. Uh, Willard loved it, and so I picked it up a few years back, and I just, I love this thing. But it's called The Secret of Guidance. He says this, it is impossible to rush into God's presence, catch up anything we fancy, and run off with it. To attempt this will end in mere delusion and disappointment. Nature will not unveil her rarest beauty to the chance tourist. Pictures that are a result of a life of work do not disclose their secret loveliness to the one who saunters down a gallery. No charter can be read at a glance, and God's best cannot be ours apart from patient waiting in his holy presence. Isn't that good? Patient waiting. So cultivate that intimate stillness before God so that you recognize his voice above all the others. That might mean cutting down on some things that are really important to you or your family. Uh, If it's every situation is going to be different, if it's overtime that you're you're doing so much just to try to get ahead, Uh, if select sports are crowding everything else out, if, if you can't go a moment of silence without getting on your phone, do you try to fill every waking moment? I mean, catch yourself doing this. If you're sitting for one minute, do you just get the, the itch? Just get a reach in the pocket. Can you sit? And I promise when we cultivate That intimate stillness before God. And I tell you what, when we are thrust into the throes of battle like Saul was, and we are in a place where we have voices that we can't cut out, you're going to recognize his. And you're going to know it's good because you spent time. So hear the word of God today. Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your words are hard to hear. Sometimes they don't make sense, but God, I know that more often than not, it's because we've let so many other voices in. And I pray, God, that those voices that have crowded you out for so long, God, that we'd find ways to cut them out, find ways to sit before you, to learn your voice to become familiar with it, to know that it's good. And God, for anybody in here that is looking for a particular word from you, a particular direction, God, I just pray that you would remind us of what we already know, help us to ask those questions. What am I I not following that you've already told me? God, thank you for your voice, and thank you that it's good, and thank you that you love us enough to speak to us. I pray that we'd go forward and really cultivate that that ear for your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.